Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. morning. How's everybody doing? I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. As John mentioned, page 320 if you're using the Bible in the chair in front of you. 1 Samuel chapter 30. So where are we at with David? How did we get here? Um, when I look at scripture, I don't want to isolate a chapter in and of itself. So We're going to look at the big picture a little bit and kind of get a running start. We're nearing the end of 1 Samuel, just one more chapter left. So what's going on with David? All right, so have any of you been a part of or witnessed a family feud? Raise your hand. They're awful. I'm not talking about Steve Harvey, um, you know, game show. I'm talking about a real family feud, right? They're they're pretty terrible. I come from a pretty passionate family. That's a, a, a nice way to put it. Um, but there has been, uh, with some relatives, some uncles, some cousins, there's been some butting of heads. There's been some um, shunning, if you will, over the years. Um, so I've firsthand seen a family feud. But when it comes to what's going on in the book of 1 Samuel, there's the, the premise of this all is this, this big feud going on between Saul and David. Saul is king of the land, um, He's the anointed king, and David is the king to come after Saul. He was anointed to um, come after Saul. But Saul burns with jealousy and anger for David, so much so that in chapter 19 we saw that Saul was premeditatively, you know, thinking about killing David, and and on several occasions tried to take his life. So David, um, with the encouragement um, of his best friend, uh, Jonathan, and his wife, Michael, he was convinced to leave. Just, just run. No plans. Just get out of here. For your own life's sake, just, just run. So David, he runs from everything he knows. He ends up going into the wilderness and, and just hiding. He, he, he's wandering for a while. And, and when we get to chapter 22, we find David in these caves, the caves of Adullam, now, I've been to Israel before, and I've been to this area this, where the caves of Adullam is that we find in chapter 22, and it's, it's really interesting because they have these signs you'll be driving up, and you come to this where you can park your bus or whatever, and they have these signs that say, stay on the path, do not deviate from the trail, because the hills are all basically hollow. There's just, you could be walking, and there's just a hole behind a bush that drops you 30, 40 feet, and they're just everywhere. So you have to stay, you have to stick to the trails. We actually got, had a chance to rappel down one of these holes, check it out, do some spelunking, which is very uncomfortable for me because I'm very claustrophobic and uh, afraid of the dark. Um, so it was, it was very uncomfortable for me. But David takes refuge in these caves, and it is here that David forms his army. David hiding here, it would be very difficult to find him. We know Saul pursued him pretty hard and looked for him to kill him. But David was hiding in these cave systems and was able to disappear. And it was here that he attracted others that were wanted by Saul. Those who owed debts, those that were rebels against Saul, those that were fugitives. Um, 
They became David's army united under a common cause, uh, under survival. They were all just trying to survive. Let's band together. Let's survive together. You know, there was no registration table. They weren't doing background checks. Jane, you didn't have to worry about that if you were part of this. There was no aptitude test. There was nothing. If you were an able-bodied man, you would join David's army if you were running from Saul. So David was able to amass an army of 600 men. And when I think of history, when I think of, of, of logic, uh, when I think of armies that did great things, I think of the Spartans at Thermopylae. I think of Hannibal marching his troops and war elephants um, across the Alps to, to hit Rome. I think of Napoleon Bonaparte. I, they're organized and disciplined. But David here finds himself with an army of volatile, you know, just outcasts, felons. Nonetheless, they amass, and they, over time, over a pretty short period of time, they become pretty close-knit. They become brothers. They, they, they fight alongside each other. They survive with one another. So they're just wandering, and David and his army, we find, they find a home. In chapter 27, and this just blows my mind every time I read it, chapter 27, David flees to the Philistines to live among them. You know, David had defeated thousands of Philistines up to this point in his life, including their great champion, Goliath. And I'm not talking over a game of checkers. I'm talking about war where many people, many men died, right? So David himself had killed many Philistines. He had stood on the opposite side of the battlefield from them, and his men had slayed thousands of Philistines. I mean, he was the top general of Saul's army at one point in time. And here he is living with them in Gath, in their capital city, and, and rubbing shoulders and schmoozing with King Achish, and, and they become friends, um, kind of like a, uh, they were taking advantage of each other, if you will. In chapter 27, verse 6 and 7, Achish gave David and his army permission to dwell in the city of Ziklag, and we're going to put that on the screen, hopefully. We have a picture of modern-day Ziklag, all right? So, Excavation in recent years have discovered that this was this little hill overseeing all this farmland was uh, the ruins of the city of Ziklag, um, which is, is pretty cool to find because that we're talking 3,000 years ago, and they're finding artifacts dating back to when David and his men would have dwelt in this city. But this little town, this this. It became David's home. It became his men's home. Their families lived there. They stored their possessions there. That's where they lived. And it was interesting because it's on the border of the Philistia, who he was fighting for, and Judah and Israel. It was a very strategic spot for David to be. We get to 27:12, and Achish, it says that Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servants. So David's taking advantage of Achish and the protection that he would have with him. And Achish is taking advantage of David and, and, and be like, well, I don't have to stand on the other side of the battlefield with him. He, he can fight with us. He can, he can raid for us. So David and his men, they live among the Philistines. They made raids against their enemies and they gained the trust of King Achish, king of the Philistines. And this, this went on for a, a little over a year. And then we get to chapter 28. Philistine is assembling for war. Now, things that we don't really consider, 
in a first world country, um, separated by 3,000 years to stories like these, is people had to, they didn't go and work for a living. They had to like farm. They had to make crops. So they had these seasons where they had these war campaigns. And normally they fell at specific times of the year. They would have raiding parties go all year. But when it came to war, when it came to amassing a whole nation and taking them to war, it normally fell at different parts of the year, you know, after or before they were planting their harvest or harvesting their harvest. You know, there were specific times, and we come to one of these specific times in chapter 28 where Achish is amassing his armies to go against Saul. Chapter 28, verse 1 says, Achish said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army to fight Israel. So if we can show that map of Israel to kind of give you guys an idea, a picture of what's going on here. So you have this whole green area, the shaded area on the left side, that's Philistia. That's, that's Achish's territory. And you have this town of Ziklag right here. That's where David and his men are living at this time. And this whole area, Achish puts the word out. It's, it's this long process. He puts the word out. Little units of men assemble, and then they, they march north. You see Aphek at the very top middle of the screen, which is bordering Israel. They march north, and they gather here, and they get ready for war. You can just imagine, you know, uh, units of troops coming in, trickling in here and there, generals organizing. They're, they're taking headcounts, and they amass here. And this type of war council happens where the generals and Achish get together. And while they're strategizing, Achish's generals, his, his chiefs, come to him and they say, we're really uncomfortable with David being here. I mean, they have done this before. They had amassed for war before when David was fighting on the other side of the battlefield against them. And here, he was supposed to be faithful to them and fight against their people. So they feared David would turn on them in battle, though Achish outranked them, he was outvoted, and Achish had to send them home. So just to give you an idea, if we can go back to the map real quick, just to give you an idea of how far it is, so Ziklag, the distance between Ziklag and Aphek is about 50 miles, and we're not talking about hopping in a car. They didn't even have chariots for all these men. These men went by foot, and it was a three-day journey. Three days of marching, they get to Aphek, and they're sent back home. 50 miles more of traveling. So just to give you an idea, David and his men are exhausted leading up to our passage in chapter 30. They, they have marched over 100 miles on foot. Okay? The good thing is, though, they're going home. They're excited to see their families. They're excited to rest in their own beds. So this brings us to our passage in chapter 30. The Philistine army is marching north against Saul, while David and his men are approaching home. And at the beginning, we see that there's a lot of pain. There's, there's a lot of um, awful things that had happened before they got home. But David encourages himself in the Lord. All right, so Ziklag cries out. Let's read verse 1 and 2 of our passage of chapter 30. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had over, overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and, took, and taken captives, the women, and all who were in it, both small and great. All right, let's stop there. 
So the whole area had amassed for war, and Amalek, the Amalekites, had caught wind of this. Hey, the Philistines are assembling, they're marching north, which is in the opposite direction of us. Let's try to take advantage of this. Have any of you in here played the game Risk? It's been around since like the 1950s, so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming some of you have. So in the game Risk, it's this map of the world, and you have your own troops, and you're trying to take over the world, basically. So the problem with it is when you, when you go on the offensive, you, you normally, you're putting all your troops and focusing them on one point, and you're, you're, you're leaving your defenses low, and you're leaving yourself uh, open to attack. And that's exactly what... David and the Philistines had done here. Um, now, David had a little comfort. He wasn't super worried about it at the beginning because if you read previous chapters, David had gone on raids. He had actually raided the Amalekites. So in his head, he wasn't expecting such a quick response, such a quick um, counter from the Amalekites. But when they approach their city, they see that it is in ruins. And I want you just to, to picture this situation David's men exhausted, their hope was just to find rest in their houses and joy with their families, but instead they find chaos and pain. Imagine being with David and his men, and all you see is smoke in the distance, and it points down to the little hilltop, um, the city of Ziklag, where once joy was present, it's now, it's now replaced by a solemn quiet, and their walk, their march turns into a jog and that jog turns into a sprint, and you have these warriors, these men, jutting back and forth into their homes, searching for their families, calling out to their kids, and there's no response. This is by far, since David was running from Saul, this is by far the lowest point David had gotten to. He had just, he had been experiencing only success up to this point after amassing his army, and now total loss, utter, de- uh, utter devastation. So let's look at verse 4. How did David and his men respond? They responded pretty naturally. Verse 4 says, David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. So they were physically exhausted, marching over 100 miles. They were mentally and emotionally, they were just, they were done. How many of us have been there before, just physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted, just just done, where you weep so hard, it seems like the whole world is spinning around you. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. Things that you do that are natural, like eating and sleeping and even breathing, you have to tell yourself to do. That's where David and his men found themselves in this passage. You only get to this place when something unforeseen just wrecks you. We all, we all have these norms, these things in our life that we expect to be there. We expect to go home and see our family. We expect to come home and see our house. We expect to wake up on Monday and have a job. We expect our car to work. We have these expectations in life, these norms. And when, when, when life happens and something in that foundation in our life is shaken, it rocks us. And we're forced to respond. And unfortunately, a lot of the times, we're just a mess. We're scrambling. And if you look at our passage, David's men had experienced 
uh, only success up to this point, so he had never seen the side of him. In verse 6, the soldiers, they were grieving so hard that it turned into rage, and it said they spoke of stoning David because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his son and daughters. So how do you respond when pain and frustration and misfortune hits your life? Do you take it out on others in your attitude and your actions? Do you take it out on yourself? Do you take it out on God? Consider David here. He's crushed. He's grieving. He's alone. But verse 6 says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. These are the moments where you see, yeah, David is a man after God's own heart. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And this is really the cornerstone to this whole chapter. This really gives you an idea of the man that David was. And the things that followed this were a result of David strengthening himself in the Lord his God. All right, so my second point is prayer. David was seeking the Lord's guidance. So David was rejected by Saul, we talked about. He was rejected by Israel, his own people. He was rejected by the Philistines in Aphek, and now he's being rejected by his own men. And on top of that, his family is missing. But he has this Psalms 56.3 type attitude, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Verse 7 in our passage, David calls for Abiathar, the priest. He's a friend of his. He's a godly man. Um, he's the priest over his army, traveling priest, kind of like a chaplain, if you, if you would say. And um, Abiathar is no stranger to tragedy like this. Um, Abiathar is from the city of Nob. And Nob, um, when David was running from Saul, he took refuge with these people. And it was called a priestly community. So there were a lot of priests there. And they fed him, gave him shelter, and then David went on his way. And when Saul found out that they had helped David, Saul had all the people killed. These are his own people. He had all of them killed. We're talking 85 priests Saul had killed. And Abiathar was the only one to escape. And he ran, like many others, straight to David. So we get to verse 8 in chapter 30, and David inquired of the Lord. He goes to Abiathar, he inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And Abiathar answers on behalf of the Lord, and I imagine with a big smile on his face, he says, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. Abiathar was that support in his life. When everything was against him, he had somebody to lean on. And we need to ask ourselves, what kind of support system do we have? Who do we call up? Who, 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 what friends, what family, what people do you have in your life that you can just sit down and pray with, that you can process with, that you can figure out what is a logical, godly way to go about this? What's your relationship with the church? Is the church and its people just like an emergency contact in your phone? You only approach them in, in, in tragedy and turmoil. Pick up the pieces, please. Fix me. Or do you establish relationships with people that you can lean on that will point you to Christ? When turmoil comes, don't just cry. Cry out to God. Don't just lament. Lament to the Lord. 
pour out your heart to God for direction, for comfort, for answers. So David gets his answer from God, all right? And somehow he convinces his men not to stone him. Hey, I just talked with the Lord, and he said, we're going to go, we're going to get him, we're going to defeat him. So he rallies his troops, and they start on the pursuit. Now, I don't want you to dismiss the fact that these guys are completely exhausted. I don't know if they're like, yeah, we're going to rest for a day, and then we're going to go. No, they got the answer, and they, they left. They got ready, and they went. So they're getting ready to march for war again more. I don't know the time span, but we're talking just days apart before, you know, they left for Aphek, they're sent back, and now they're searching for their family. But we see through this pursuit that, that God delivers David and his people through preservation. So we saw in verse 9, God provided direction. God answered him. He said, pursue. And if we can go back to the map of Israel during this time, we see... So they're in Ziklag, and you see this dotted line here, and you see Amalek. This is where the raiding party was heading home. And they get to this river, this, the river of Besor, this brook, and, which is 12 miles from Ziklag. And a third of David's army, so 200 men, are so exhausted that they can't even muster enough energy to cross the river. So David here is forced even more to trust in God. You know, I'm sure David was aware there's, there's probably way more people in this raiding party. We're losing guys. God says we're going to get the victory, so let's go for it. So they cross this river, and they find, this is when the story starts to get crazy, and you can't help but say, wow, God did this. In verse 11, they stumble across an Egyptian just, just in the desert, Let's read verse 11. It says, They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And we find out in verse 13 and 14 that this Egyptian was a slave to one of the raiding Amalekites, that he fell sick and was just discarded. All right? So you have this slave. He's there. He knows all about the Amalekites. He knows all about the raiding party, how many men, what kind of weapons, what they did with their possessions and their families. He knows all the details. Up to this point, they weren't even sure it was the Amalekites, but the slave tells them everything they need to know. It says in verse 12 that David gave him water and fed him and revived his spirit. And as if he had an option, David asks him in verse 15, he says, will you take me to this band? So this is just an example of God in a crazy way providing. David was seeking the Lord's guidance. He got his answer from God. He started following God, even though it looked like we're at the end of ourselves. We're losing men. But he follows the Lord, and God provides this, this slave, and he gets answers. So they know that they had been there three days before because it said that the, this, this Egyptian hadn't eaten or drank anything for three days and, and so they start, probably they have all the answers they need. I imagine them marching with a purpose now as they seek their families. And in verse 16, they find the camp. They find these people. So let's read verse 16 and 17. So this is speaking of the Egyptian. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because, because of all the great spoils that had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down 
from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 men who had mounted camels and fled. So I just want to pause there. What does that last part of 17 say? And not a man of them escaped except 400 men on camels. How many men did David have? He had 400. All right? So David and his men are just cutting the Amalekites down. They see their, 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 their kid, they see their wives, they see their livestock, and they're just they're having a good time, and they take that opportunity and they attack. And, and they're just they're, they're cutting them down. So much so that the same amount of troops that David came with starts fleeing. And they even have camels. David, we, we are giving no, given no hints that David had horses or camels or anything. They're marching by foot. And they strike so much fear and with so much passion that these, the rest of these Amalekites flee and God gives them the victory. God is at work. We, we see in verse 18, David recovered all the Amalekites had taken. God at work. Verse 19, nothing was missing. God at work. God provided the Egyptian. God provided him direction. And we get to verse 23, we see David gives God the glory. He didn't take it for himself. He didn't shine the light on himself. He focused all his attention on pointing to God. Verse 23 says, um, this is David speaking, with what the Lord has given us, he has preserved us and given into our hands this band that came against us. I wanted to entitle this Battle of the Bands, but I didn't think that was a very good title. <laughs> um, so God delivered them, and David gave God the credit. Being the solid dude that David was, we see in the following verses that David shared the spoils that he had collected. Now, these were his own possessions, but we, we see that the Amalekites, they didn't just attack Ziklag. They, they attacked that whole area. So David shares in the spoils. Let's, let's go and put up, pull up that map one more time. I'm going to read verse 26. When David came to Ziklag... He sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoils of the enemies of the Lord. And then in these coming verses, it goes into detail about what cities he was sending the spoils to. So Ziklag is right here, and then you see these, these cities right here, Hebron, Eshtemoa, Jatir, all these cities. These were cities that were friendly to David, that supported David, that recognized him as the anointed king of Israel after Saul. And he took what he, took, what he got from the Amalekites after, after attacking them, and he shares it with them. He shares it with the men that weren't able to cross the brook. He, he shares it with, with everybody, with his network. He doesn't take the glory. He doesn't take everything for himself. He spreads it out, and he gives God glory. So in conclusion, I want, I want to show you that there's, there's a pretty obvious pattern here in this, in this chapter. We see the Lord was David's strength. We see the Lord was David's advisor. We see the Lord was the one who ultimately got him the victory and preserved his people. We see the Lord was the one that David was giving the ultimate glory to. All of this originated with David's response in verse 6. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So in conclusion, I want to ask you guys, where will you find your strength? 
when Monday hits, when work starts, when feuds start, when tension starts, where will you find your strength? As the music team comes up, I want to close in a, um, in a story. I was reading a story about a young climber. This guy, all his life he had dreamed of climbing um, the Swiss Alps. And he was one of those dreamers that when he had a goal, when he had a dream, he really went after it. And one day, he started on this trek. Um, he invited, he had two guides with him. And the way that, I don't know if you've watched mountain climbing movies or whatever, but they tether themselves to each other so that if one slips, the others catch him with their weight. So he had two guides. He had a guide in front of him, and he had a guide behind him. And they got near the top, the summit of this mountain, this big accomplishment in life. And the guide in the front steps aside so that this young climber, this guy who had dreamed of climbing this mountain, could, could be the first one to step up there. So he steps up to the top of the mountain, and this strong wind suddenly picks up and almost throws him off the mountain. And the guide grabs him, pulls him down, and shouts, On your knees now, sir! You are not safe here unless you are on your knees. As Christians, we're never safe. And by safe, I mean we're not exempt from hardship. We're not exempt from hard times just completely wrecking us. You'll never see it coming. It'll come at the most opportune time when you have no energy, when, you have, when you're just at the end of yourself. And we need to fall on our knees before the Lord and, and seek his guidance as David did. Seek his advice. We're not always going to get immediate answers. We're not always going to know exactly what to do. But we're seeking for the right, we're seeking for our answers from the right source. Surround yourself with people that love the Lord. Ask, ask them to evaluate your life. Ask them to evaluate your, your big decisions you're about to take. Because you never know um, what life's going to throw at you. Seek your strength from the Lord. I'm going to pray, and then the music team will, will do the next song. Mm. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. I thank you for the story of David in chapter 30. I thank you for his testimony here. Um, my heart goes out to him and his men, just totally exhausted, totally at the end of themselves, everything taken. But yet David fell on his face before you, and he, he was seeking you, your face, and, 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 and getting his strength from you. I pray as we go throughout our day, throughout our week, as hard times creep up on us and, and wreck us, Lord, I pray we will seek your face and that our strength will come from you and, and nothing else. In your name, amen.